We're starting a brand new series today called You Asked For It. It was on Easter that uh, we passed out a survey here at Redeemer City Church and just asked you, what, what do you want to know about? What are you interested about? And we just gave a one-page survey, and I think we'll do it every year. It's, it was really cool, and it was overwhelmingly the same stuff. It was really amazing. And uh, so, so we're going to dive into the topics that you asked for. So literally, these things that we're talking about over the next few weeks, uh, you asked for it, quite literally. It's a very original sermon title. Um, because you literally asked for it. Are you tracking with me? All right. I don't have any more ways to say that, but I'm going to jump right in because we've got some some special stuff today that we want to cover. And uh, quite frankly, there's there's a lot to cover and not a lot of time because week number one of you asked for it is stress. Is anybody stressed out today? You're all liars. <laughs> There's like four of you that are honest. We'll deal with lying next week. All right. I'm kidding. But uh, sort of. But um, here's what the dictionary defines stress as. I just want you to think of this. I just want you to picture it in your mind. I want you to think about your own life. Physical, mental, or emotional strain and tension. Think about that. Physical strain mental strain or emotional strain who among us isn't dealing with one two or all three of those at any given moment you know one of the things that we say around here is the thing that levels the playing field in life is that you and i are all sinners it's just reality and because we're broken people living with broken people we get stressed I gathered just some stats from the American Institute for Stress. Did you know there's an institute for people who are stressed out? What they want to do is just gather all this info so we can feel more stressed out. You know what I'm saying? But listen to this. Listen to this. 34% of Americans report that they have trouble sleeping because they're stressed. 44% of Americans report that they have heavy eyes. We got any heavy eyes in the room today? Twelve <laughs> percent report pain physically in their hands. You know, I often think about like when I'm stressed, I clench my teeth. Right there, a lot of people clench their hands. Thirty percent of people with jobs suffer from back pain, regardless of whether or not they're lifting heavy things. Twenty percent report being fatigued, regardless of what their job is. suffer with headaches. Some studies even suggest through this institute that the average adult stress level grows 10% every year. What's that mean? At 10 years, what what, what has happened? You're not even the same person, right? Like you've had so much stress build up on your life that that you literally can't be the same person because it's, physically, mentally, and emotionally straining you for years. And it just keeps going beyond that. Here's maybe the craziest statistic that I read from the American Institute for Stress. One of their researchers said this, 
that it is possible to connect 60% of our illnesses back to our stress level. That's wild. That's wild to me. We've never lived in a society that needed the gospel as much as ours. Now, I get it. Every, every society who's ever lived could say that, right? So that's probably unfair. But my point is, is that you don't ever outgrow your need for the gospel, right? We just never outgrow the need. I'm going to put a chart up on the screen, just a pie chart. Because when you think about where, where does stress come from? Where does all the stress come from? Look, look, at, this, look at this chart here. 46% of people say that it's from their workload. 28% of people say it's people. <laughs> Can I get an amen to church today? <laughs> 20% of people say it's work and people, right? 6% it's money, right? It's lack of job security. It's not knowing that I have tomorrow. It's anxiety. I would add another slice to that chart as a follower of Jesus and say that maybe unresolved sin or shame could be in that category. My prayer for you would be that before you walk out of here today, that you would leave that at the foot of the cross. That you would leave whatever that sin or whatever that shame is at the foot of the cross. Maybe the poster child for this could be King David. Right? Think of all the stuff he went through. But here, here's what his words, he was stressed out in Psalm chapter 55. Stressed out. And here's what he said. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. What a powerful statement. There's freedom for you today from your stress. But it is within that opportunity, within that decision, to cast your care on the Lord. Because think about it, the vast majority of people in our free society are working for something that they cannot find. Right? I mean, even those of us that are really happy, right? We, we always want the next thing. I'm just confessing to you up here. Pray for me. Okay? <laughs> God, my wife calls it my wanter. Right? Like, I just have a big wanter. And then when my wanter gets what I wanted, I start to want something else. <laughs> going to need somebody to lay hands on me after church. But aren't we all prone to chase the shifting sands of our culture? It's just so easy. It's just so easy to get your, your phone out and get on Instagram and, and look at what other people are doing. And, and listen, I, I know like pastors get up and we talk about that and we're like, but like we're the worst. <laughs> we're the worst. Like we get on our, our friends' Instagram it's like, oh, they have more people in church today. Like that matters, right? Like what, what Scripture says, sufficient for today is today's troubles. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. 
It's going to start quoting some music lyrics. I'm going to skip that. But we just went through a series on the book of Daniel. And, and didn't we learn from Daniel that culture will always try to reshape you? Culture will always try to change your identity, always try to rename you. But listen, listen, we do have something in our life from God that is steady and firm and secure. And, and in all of the things in our culture, the shifting sands of our culture, right? You ever go to the beach and just like take steps and like maybe like I was just at the beach the other day and like my little girl will try to step in my footprints and it's awesome. But those sands are shifting. So what happens when she tries to step into my big footprints? What does she do? She falls, right? That, that's, that's shifting sands of culture, isn't it? There's only one thing that never changes and it's God. Right? The Bible tells us that, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, so this is the thing that you can set your life on. But re- really, I probably don't need to convince you of that, right? <laughs> I likely don't need to spend a ton of time convincing you that a lot of our culture, and even in our own community here, as the body of Christ, if, if we're really honest with each other, which is what Scripture calls us to, we're stressed out. We're stressed out. We, we, we simply have too many things going on that we were not designed to carry. We just do. It's a lot of pressures in this life. Think about it. Relationships, marriage, kids, dating, Co-workers, bosses, being an employer, health issues, social media, unhealthy obsessions with anything like politics or the world or the saviors that we chase, our addictions. Just our own choices, our own sin. I mean, if if I just focused on my own sin, I'd be stressed out, wouldn't I? Just all the stuff. And I could continue, right? Like I could just continue. Like we could just get out a whiteboard and just start writing the things down that that cause us to stress. But assuming you recognize all of that, which I think you do, how do we begin to deal with stress as followers of Jesus? How do we begin to deal with our anxiety, to deal with the pressure to be more than we are? How do we deal with that pressure? I think it goes back to Good Friday, doesn't it? goes back to that Friday 2,000 years ago when Jesus on the cross, in Him on the cross, we see Him suffering through physical, mental, and emotional strain, do we not? He endured it so that you could be set free from it. Like, what did Paul mean in Galatians 5.1 when he said, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free? That sounds redundant. That there is actually, in this moment of time, for you, freedom from your stress. That if you're a mother and you are stressed about your kids, there is real freedom for you in laying those cares at the feet of Jesus. Or if you're a dad and you struggle with that more than your wife, pray for somebody. 
Right? That's scary, isn't it? Like, to, ju- to just think that, like, you know, you're going to send your kid into the world and they're, they're so innocent and precious when they leave and then they come back and they're not. That's scary. Or, or maybe it's your workplace where you believe that God's called you to be salt and light, but, but you walk in there and you're the only person that believes what you believe and they think you're a fool. That's scary. And we could just go on. Maybe you're in a relationship where the other person doesn't care about the things of God the way you have come to care. I mean, we could just go on. You get it. But Jesus went to the cross and suffered those things so that you might have freedom. So that in the middle of your stress, there would be a place for your soul that it could find rest. That it's actually there. And as we study God's Word, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down first because it's something I want you to think about this week. Because as you study God's Word, and I'm going to go through a lot of Scripture here, it becomes incredibly obvious that stress is a soul issue. S-O-U-L. Soul. Stress is a soul issue issue. Why do I say that? Look at John 16:33. Jesus said this, "I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace." Take this guarantee, in this world you will have trouble. Any any church or any uh pastor who might tell you that if you follow certain steps, you're not going to have trouble, is not looking at the same Bible that you are. It's just not true. The opposite is promised. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. (laughs) You will have trouble, but in me, there is peace. That there's a place for your soul to find rest, where everything else might be crazy, But take heart. I love that. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Not you. Not I've laid out a five-step plan for you to overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's good news. Back to our buddy King David. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles... But the Lord delivers him from them all. David, in the midst of his trouble, and he had some serious troubles, didn't he? If you're new to the Bible, uh, you can just study King David's life. And, uh, and the New Testament says he was a man after God's own heart. But David, David was messed up. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was uh, given all kinds of favor from God. He, he was... Uh, a great leader, uh, maybe the best Israel ever had. And yet, in the middle of that, many of them his own choices causing his trouble. He says, you're going to have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them all. You might think about all that and think to yourself like, you know, what in the world? I am praying. I do pray. I went to church every Sunday this month. 
in the middle of summer when I could have gone boating. (laughs) And it's pretty awesome out there. I get it. But listen, it it doesn't work that way. Right? Like you you hear us say to you sometimes that uh, you don't work for your salvation. And, And in theory, we're like, yeah, I know that. But don't a lot of us work for God's favor? <laughs> it's almost second nature, but, but if that's your thinking, then, then you've been taught some bad theology. Because that's not the way it works. He doesn't reward those things by taking your trouble away. You don't go to church so that God will take away your problems. You go to church to find hope in the middle of your problems. If you want freedom from your stress, you have to get in community. You have to share that burden with somebody. Right? There's two places that it happens. It happens in confession to God and taking the mask off with people. Right? Because in in Scripture it says that if you confess your sin, God's faithful to forgive your sin. But that doesn't bring you healing right now. What does it say? James 5 says when you confess that to other people, you'll find healing. So it's two sides of the same coin. You need God and you need us. Sorry. (laughs) There's no rogue faith. Like faith is a communal thing. You were never designed to do life alone. And I know we say that a lot when we talk about city groups and we're going to keep saying that because it's true. But, But even in your own life, just being stressed out, like you will not find freedom from that until you bring other people in and allow them to shoulder it with you. One of the words in that Psalm 34 was trouble. Some translations call it affliction. In ancient times in the Assyrian culture, uh, they, they would do all forms of torture. You can just Google Assyrian torture and, and you can read about it if you're like a history buff. But one of, the, one of the things that I was reading and then I heard some other people uh, writing about it and talking about it was that there was this one form of, of Assyrian torture. So that word troubles and affliction, uh, David likely had these things in mind and he was comparing his trouble to the way this was, is they would take their enemies and tie them to a post, literally tie them to a post, and they would just begin to stack rocks around them and up and up and up and up and then on their shoulders and on their head and they would just stack rocks until literally it would get to the point where that You know, you've heard that, the straw that broke the camel's back. They would get to the point where that one last rock was too much and it would crush you dead. And David's saying, one more rock. And that's it. You know, maybe you feel that way today. Like, I I can't take one more rock. I'm so glad you're here today. Because this is what we need. Or that you're listening online or listening to the podcast. Because you were never meant to do life alone. You actually need all of these people in your life. You need to get in community here. But you also need to do city group. You also need to be in that small group. Right now in the summer, we have a men's group that meets Monday mornings. And it's a sacrifice, let me tell you. 6 a.m. is early on a Monday morning. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Earl's like, I know. He come, him and Kenny come the farthest. But we need it. 
the women meet on Tuesday nights. And in the fall, September, October, uh, we're going to launch a full, full-fledged full city groups. And there's going to be opportunities for you to plug into community. Because life change happens in the context of community. When the mask comes off and you share and you cast your burdens on the Lord and you open your life to each other. It's the place where burdens are shared and healing is found. And I beg you to get in one. Beg you to get in one. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4, if anyone falls down, one can help the other up. Pity, I pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You need people in your life. But thinking about all that, what are, what are I want to do two things here. I want to talk about what I think are the two greatest culprits of stress. And I want to give you some antidotes to stress in general. But the two greatest culprits, if you're taking notes, I think the two things when you boil everything down, when you look at that pie chart, when you think about your life, uh, maybe the two greatest culprits of stress in your life are time and money, right? Time and money. We spend a lot of time worrying about our time and we spend a lot of time worrying about our money, right? Psalm 62, let's just go right back to the Psalms. Psalm 62, 5 through 10. Yes, my soul, find rest. Say rest. Rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and honor depend on God. He's my rock, my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our our refuge. But then look at this in verse 9. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. And the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, surely they're nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust or put your hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. What's David saying? Your time, you're but a breath. James says the same thing in the New Testament. Life is a vapor. Your, your time is but a breath. And your money, doesn't matter how much you get, don't set your heart on them. Time and money. Let's talk about time first. We just finished a sermon series on Daniel talking about influence with our limited time. And Daniel standing before Belteshazzar when, when uh, the handwriting on the wall came uh, said this, This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. The guy who thought he was invincible, who was throwing parties while being surrounded by other armies. In the middle of that, God had numbered his days. Since we're on this theme of me confessing, (laughs) 
Listen, your pastor has been in the past five years to the ER three times for what I thought was dying of a heart attack. Like seriously, I had like all the symptoms, like can't feel my left arm, like like that, like serious. Like I'm I'm at the end. Every symptom of a heart attack. And all three times Camden would drive me to the the first time I think she was really scared, and then the next two times I think she's like, Come on, get in the car. Because each time, I was like, babe, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. Each time, doctors would check me out. They'd run the test. Because if you say you have a heart problem, you go right to the front of the line. So if you're going to the ER and you need to go right to the front of the line, just be like, my heart. And then you get in there and be like, it wasn't my heart. <laughs> it's just my arm. Took me right to the front. Got him in there, and each time the doctor would check me out. They'd run the full gamut of tests, right? They'd beep, beep, beep. You know, they one time they made me do a stress test. Like, they would do all of it. And each time they would come back in and they would tell what Camden already knew. Right? You're fine. The good news is, your body is fine. The bad news is, you're crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, like, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you just aren't as much of a struggler as I am, right? Like Camden would have never gone to the hospital for that. <laughs> she deals with it in different ways, right? But, but what was it? it? It's just me shouldering burdens that I was never designed to carry. It's me shouldering burdens I was never designed to carry. The only other time it happened was when my first son was born. I just like, you know, just like took it all in, took it all in, took it all in, and then he was born. And like four hours later, I barfed all over the place and the doctor's like go home I wasn't sick <laughs> I was so stressed out like there's another human and I'm responsible for them <laughs> now I've got three of them pray for somebody your pastor has problems you're not alone right like stress like really wrecks me like just can I confess it to you like like my anxiety level is just like and I have to learn every time, cast your cares on the Lord. When we planted this church, it was, I, it was easy for me to do everything. You know, or with my, with my family, or like we, we, could, we, could, we could tackle the stuff. But as God has brought more people, and I continued to hold that, guess what happened? ER. <laughs> she didn't take me this time though. She's like, you're fine, go take a lap. <laughs> right, like, like, do some push-ups, buddy. Right? She, the doctor's like, don't bring him, don't bring him back here. All right, you're wasting your money. All right, save the copay. Um, all that stuff. I'm being mean. My wife is more caring than that. But listen, there, there's people all around me at this church, and as we've join forces with the Arbor Church. There's so much ability and talent and gifting that God has brought, right? It begins with Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, shepherds, evangelists, teachers. And what our job is, is to equip the body for the work of the ministry, not to do all the ministry, right? So, so as, as I release things to the people that God has gifted to do things, we, we have an incredible staff. I call them staff, but they get a pat on the back and a thank you. And uh, they are really just great servant leaders, and as, 
as they're just empowered and as you are empowered to do what God's called you to do in this great city that God's called us to, the church begins to advance and I begin to stop going to the ER. Right? Like there's just things, and, and I make light of that, but it's true in every one of your life and it's true in my life. You're, you're more like me than you might want to admit. And we all flesh it out differently. It may not mean an ER visit for you, but it may mean a bad marriage. It may mean difficulty at work it may mean struggling with your kids and and maybe it means having uh, not enough people in your life to hold you accountable or taking that mask off and it fleshes itself out in so many ways but as i submit my life to be accountable to the elders of this church and to give ministry away to those god has called and equipped to do it freedom comes and if you'll commit to not just budget your money, but budget your time, freedom will come. By casting your cares on the Lord and bringing other people into that space to hold you accountable to that, there's freedom there. There's freedom in that confession and there's freedom in that accountability. And accountability is like a dirty word in church and I get that, but accountability is not judgmental. Accountability is loving and serving each other. Right, that's why, that's why we do this on Sunday, right? Paul says, talk to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what? Sometimes you just need a worship night at your city group. Sometimes you just need to come and you just need to praise God together and just say, like, I just, I just, need, to, I just need to let it go. And we could talk about that for a long time, but, but it also doesn't mean that, that we're, we're bored now because we, we stopped doing everything because we threw it on the Lord, right? That's not what that means, it means I'm free to do what God's called me to do. I'm free to do what God's called me to do while doing what God has called you to do. And when all of us do that, and then we leave the results up to the Lord, like train up your child on the way they should go, and in the end he will not depart from it. You just trust God with that last part. And you do what you're called to do. When you go to work, I'm going to be salt and light because I believe, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit's going to come on me with great power in that moment to be His witness wherever I go. And that, like, like Peter said, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. It didn't, he didn't say have all the apologetic answers, did he? He said to give a reason for the what? Hope that lies within me. There's power there. We have time for what matters most. We do. We do, but sometimes we need to stop and cut some things out and add some things in. If you're too busy for date night, cut something out. Or get creative. Put the kids to bed and order in. Figure it out. Maybe you don't have time for Bible reading. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time for church. You don't have time for city group. You don't have time to rest. Get your calendar out. And make time. Listen, a lot of times we're the victims of our own cycle, of our own treadmill, of our expectations of ourselves. And God wants you to know today that there's hope in Him. That there's rest in Him. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but let's talk about money real quick. Since we're on this theme of confession... It's going so well. You're enjoying that at my expense. (laughs) 
uh, when we got married, when we were engaged, Cam and I, when we were engaged, I was kind of a tightwad. I was like, we're not spending any money. And then we got married and I was like, let's spend all our money. And uh, one of the things that, that I liked to do for like the first like several, maybe more than several years of our marriage was like, I like to have different cars, not new cars. I just like to have different cars. And uh, you know what happens every time you get a different car? Depreciation. You lose money. Camden's like, you do realize that every time you need a new car, a new old car, we lose money. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. But, but right? Not sin, just stupid. Right? Right? Camden's like, amen. All right? But you know what's interesting? That that was unwise. But you know what came with freedom? You know, you, you know what has brought freedom for me? I drive a 10-year-old car with 150,000 miles on it. And there's freedom in that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a new car, right? I still have a few that I want, right? But that, that's not what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying to you is for me, like that was a thing that I needed freedom from. And that's a silly one, right? But that's real money, right? And, and as we started adding kids and then we adopted Malachi and then he started having surgeries, you're like, oh, like it's time for Mitch to grow up a little bit, right? So what, what is the, what's the car for you? Where do we need to say this is not sin, but maybe it's unwise, and maybe for you, there is, a, there is an area of sin with your spending. Like we have to deal with that. But you, you know what is a great antidote to that? Contentment with what you have. Listen to what First Timothy 6. I love this. I love what Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor starting out. Here's what he says. First Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness, look at this, with what? Contentment is great gain. Wow. Godliness. Why does he say with contentment? Because it's actually possible for you to do everything God's called you to do and hate it. Isn't it? What is that? Why, why does Paul say it's for freedom that Christ sets you free? So that you wouldn't just do the motions of what you've been called to do, but that you would do the motions you've called to do and love it because it's setting you free. Let's keep going. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I love this. There's no U-Hauls behind a hearse. Can I get an amen in church today? Right? You can't take it with you. But look, look at this. Verse 8. But we have food and clothing. We'll be content with that. Most of us aren't content with that. I'm not. I'm not content with that. And I have to deal with that. I have to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Because that causes a lot of problems for other people in my life. But in Christ I can. Look at verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then listen to this. For the love of... Everybody say love. The love of money. Money's not evil. Money is a tool in your hands for the kingdom. Everything you have is already God's. You're a manager of that. It's already His. 
We're a manager of that. that. That's why it's easy to be generous at church. That's why it's easy to be generous with my neighbors. That's why it's easy to be generous with my family. That's why when you have an issue, we can, as a body, say, we can help that. We can meet that. Because we don't love our money. We love our people. There's power there. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Did you know that's the number one cause of divorce? And by the way, not just out in the world, the church's divorce rate, people who claim to follow Christ, our divorce rate is just as high. The love of money, root of all kinds of evil. And listen to this, some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That you, you can actually fall so in love with your money that you just walk away from the Lord. You, you just, we just like our stuff. I'm not going to say you. I'm going to say me too. Like we just, we just like our stuff too much to, to say, I'm not going to lay my life down for you. Just like my stuff too much. When we get our finances in order, it releases us from some stress because I start to realize I don't need to spend on that because that's not my purpose. This is what God's called me to. This is who he's created me to be. This is why we do growth track, right? We, we, we do that to help you figure out who God has called you to be. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Because what I'm not saying is having a car payment is bad or any of that. Like you, you figure that out. But we have to figure it out, right? Because we need to do with what God has given us, what He's called us to get, to do. He's called us to be a generous people, no matter how much we have. The Bible says it this way in Second Corinthians chapter eight, uh, Paul's writing and thanking the Macedonian church because the Bible says out of their extreme poverty, they gave with glad and generous hearts. Wow, they were in extreme poverty. Saw Paul had a need and said, "We want to meet it." So then the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. For a lot of us in this room, much has been given and much is required. But that's not, there's not weight there. When I, when I have godliness with contentment, I can't wait to be a part of that. What, what are the tools that God's going to use to reach people for His glory and for His kingdom with, with the money that He's given? That's incredible. And, and listen, I see so many of you do it all the time and it's awesome. It's awesome. I realize those are two big ones and we could spend a ton more time on just those. <laughs> we could spend a lot of time. But maybe your stress is coming from somewhere else. Maybe it's not about time and it's not about money for you. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's something else that I didn't cover. I want you to know with any struggle you have today that there's hope. Because we can't even do those things I just talked about without Jesus. Like, like you need to like sign up for Financial Peace University and take Jesus with you. Because it's hard. It's hard. It, it means daily crucifying my flesh to say no to the stuff I want and yes to the stuff God wants. I can't do that by myself. I, we need each other. We need to do that in a group. And I need the Holy Spirit. Because I can't do it otherwise. 
There is hope, though, with Jesus. Let me give you two things that I think are the antidote to our stress, the medicine for our soul. I believe it's in finding two things, if you want to write these down, that we need to find an anchor and we need to find some rest. You've got to find an anchor and you've got to find some rest. My favorite verse on stress in all of the Bible, I've preached all that just to get to this verse. And I want you to take it with you. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says. It says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose. How clear? Very clear. He wanted you to be crystal clear on His purpose. That He even confirmed it with an oath. So He promised it and then He confirmed it in the presence of witnesses. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be how encouraged? Greatly encouraged. The title of my sermon today is this. Greatly encouraged. If you walk away with Nothing else. I want you to know that in Christ you can be greatly encouraged because of the hope set before you. And I love this verse. You should highlight it, mark it, memorize it, tell it to your friends. Here's what it says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now listen, there's a lot of Jewish history there. But the bottom line is this, for thousands of years, the Jewish people could not go into the temple, into the sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies and stand before God and receive mercy and help in their time of need. They had to do it through the priest. They had to do it through somebody else. But the Bible says we have this great hope as an anchor for our soul that Jesus went into that place for us and paid the price one and once and final time. So that from this point forward, if you put your trust in Christ, you can in any moment, at any time, on any day, of any week, of any month, of any year, of any moment in the rest of your life, walk straight into the throne room of heaven and receive mercy and help for your time of need. Every single time. You have that hope as an anchor for your soul. I was out boating just the other day. Todd was driving, of course. Not be good if I was in my stressful condition driving a boat but it was cool we like anchored at a beach and you know the waves are are there near the beach right and he put an anchor out the front and an anchor out the back and over the next few minutes you watched those anchors sink into the ground and then the sand covered them up and you know what that boat did not do for the next four hours it didn't move it didn't move an inch my, my little kids were climbing up on the boat, climbing off the boat. Not a care in the world because they knew the boat was anchored. It was not going to move. And God's telling you, listen, 
There, there are waves everywhere in your life. You're in the middle of a storm we sang. But there's a hope in Jesus that is an anchor for your soul. And it's firm and secure. And you won't find it by chasing your plans. You'll find it by resting in His. You need to find an anchor. And the anchor has a name. His name is Jesus. And out of that, you're given the second one. Rest. Rest. That's where rest comes. Jeremiah 6.16 This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. You're at a crossroads today. The Word of God standing before you, offering you hope, offering you freedom, offering you joy and peace. Look what it says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Look at your options. <laughs> and look, look at this. I love this statement. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And then walk in it. And then walk in it. A lot of times we know where the ancient path is. We know where the good way is and we don't want to walk there. But if you'll walk in it, look what it says. You'll find rest for your soul. But you said we will not walk in it. The ancient path. Right? We live in Babylon. We're faced with a lot of roads but we come to this road where the Bible stands, God's Word stands, the truth stands, and we can turn to the right and follow it, or we can continue doing our own thing. We can turn to the right and follow those, that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, and says, this is the way, walk in it. There's rest available, there's peace available, but we must choose it. We must choose it. Find an anchor. Find some rest. It's only found in the person of Jesus.